Good evening, everyone, and thank you very much for joining us tonight. And thanks to all the speakers uh, for taking the time as well. Um, we've done a little sound check already, so I might ask uh, speakers to mute themselves until we get into uh, un until talking. Um, again, this is uh, the uh, fifth part of our uh, trading summit. Uh, so far, we've had uh, 680 people book into the summit, uh, many online views, uh, many, many people coming along. Uh, so a, a really great opportunity for us to give back and, and share some insights to trading. Tonight, we are joined by Greg Tolpidgeon, Nathan Germain, Kieran Neeson, Tim Gildersday, and I've got Ivan Cherrylove here. My name's Patrick Nelson. Uh, and so we've got a group of uh, traders, very experienced traders here to give their insights on the market. And I think we're at a really interesting point um, of, uh, on the Aussie market of inflection of, of, of a lot of news. We've been waiting for a lot of things to happen uh, that uh, will, will have a significant impact. So a lot of things happening at once, and it's going to be really interesting to get some different opinions on how to trade it, uh, what people think the different, um, uh, I guess, the different themes are, the different drivers for the market over the next little period of time are going to be, and um, and what trades they're going to look to as well. So uh, we've, we've done a, a range of different things over the last five weeks. Uh, this is probably one of the most exciting sessions we're running, and I think it's a perfect time to be doing it. It's an open format, so... Uh, if you've got a question, just type it into the chat box. If your chat box isn't open, uh, it, you sh there should be a, a, an arrow that you can click or at the bottom of your phone or mobile device, a question mark. So just open that up and type away. Uh, I'll, ask, I'll post the questions in. If I don't get to your questions straight away, we'll handle it when we get to the Q&A session at the end. The format tonight, usually when we do a panel conversation, we're all sitting in the room at the front of the stage, sitting on a stool. and um, it's a little bit, we can read each other's cues and not talk over the top of each other um, or, or talk over the top of each other and argue with each other. But on the online formats, it's a little bit more tricky. So what I'm going to do is give everyone a, an opportunity to give an update and their view of the market, a little bit of Q&A um, and, and make our way through uh, each guest trader who's here tonight. And then we'll get to the end of the session and open up the floor for Q&A uh, and some debate and discussion uh, on, on what we see going uh, in and happening in the market. So I'll just click through a couple of slides uh, and, uh, and, and, and I'll do a proper introduction on each speaker when we get to it. But any advice contained in tonight's presentation is general only. It doesn't take into consideration your personal circumstances and you need to decide for yourself whether it's appropriate for you. Past returns are not an accurate indicator of future returns. If you are considering trading, uh, it is risky. If you don't know what you're doing, your most likely outcome or the outcome I can say, the only certain outcome uh, that I can give you is that you will not make money if you do not invest in learning uh, and then continuously invest in learning and staying across your trades and abreast of what's going on in the market. Uh, and, um, uh, and so by way of disclaimer, it would be that, um, you know, trading is a wonderful thing. I've got a lot out of it personally. The people that are on the session tonight are examples of successful people that have equally done well out of trading, uh, but everyone's put in the hard yard. So as to part of the, the disclaimer, I would say very clear, if it's something you want to do, by all means, get involved. It's a wonderful pursuit. It's entertaining, but do the work. All right. Um, so throughout this session, we've had uh, market makers on. Last, last session, we had Rob Risk from Susquehanna. Uh, we had uh, Graham O'Brien from, from the ASX for the last couple of sessions. Um, we've had Greg and Nathan uh, on uh, sharing their trades. Ivan and I have, sh uh, have shared some of our trading systems and our trading strategies and trade ideas throughout this. Uh, and Tim Gildersdale, who runs our trading desk here at Reach and Implied Volatility, is here. Tim is a, is a, has won the options trading game. Um, and, and ranked very highly on numerous different times uh, and is a participant in our weekly uh, trade, uh, next big trade discussions as well. Um, so, um, again, I will introduce each speaker as we get to it, but uh, we've had a range of different people in the session. So if you haven't covered, gone, gone to each session that we've run so far, you want to, for example, you're really interested in what 
Greg's got to say or Nathan's got to say, you can go back into the earlier sessions on our website, Under Trading Summit, or Under Trading Webcast Trading Summit, and you can have a look at all of the previous sessions, uh, get some of their ideas and more insights uh, from the speakers here tonight by going and doing that. Um, a little bit about uh, REACH, uh, we're the education partner to the ASX, uh, the implied volatility trading platform they use, which was built by Ivan and his team, is the same technology that's used by the ASX for the options trading game. So if you're playing the game, uh, you'll be using similar technology to our technology. It's the leading technology for options traders in the Australian market. Uh, and if anyone on the session tonight would like to get a trial of that and access to any of our services, just type in yes, and we will get that sent to you. If you want to get the contact details or the, any of the speakers' businesses to get added to the businesses' uh, distribution list, type in the name of the speaker and we'll forward your details onto them, uh, and they can add them. You can add you to their mailing trade idea lists or whatever uh, whatever they they have available there. Um, so again. Um, let me skip out of uh, our, uh, our sales pitch. And I think um, first off the rank uh, tonight, Greg, um, thank you very much for joining us. I'll just ask you to unmute yourself and just do a quick sound check. Have I got you there? Can you hear me? Good evening. I can hear you loud and clear. Um, Excellent. Greg's a very experienced trader, very successful trader, um, has uh, been trading over, uh, I think, over 25 years now, Citigroup, Bankers Trust, Macquarie Bank. Um, head prop trader at Glen Eagles um, and a very active participant um, on in lots of different forums, uh, Australian Financial Review, I think Channel 9, uh, Personal Investor, Wealth Creator, Share Cafe. Um, you've probably seen him around, heard him or read something that he's written in the past. Um, so, Greg, thanks very much for, for, for joining us tonight. Um, how are you reading all of all of this that's that's happening in the world at the moment? And 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 and, and I guess you know a lot has been jam packed into the last couple of weeks. How's it been for you? What do you think's going on out there? Where are things heading? Okay, well, uh, it would be nice to have this uh, conversation a couple of sessions ago because or a couple of nights ago because a lot has happened and. Um, a lot of it, as with anything with trading, you uh, once you have more known knowns, so to speak, uh, the less the opportunity presents itself. So overnight, we obviously got another known known, which is that uh, we've got a lot closer to a, a vaccine, a, a successful vaccine. Um, that certainly, you know, at least on the surface, presents itself to be a lot more effective than what the market was anticipating. One of the other known knowns, well, I mean, I might get a little bit of pushback on this, is but who's controlling the Senate and who's the president. And so that has removed quite a bit of opportunity in, in the market, um, particularly in the short term. So, you know, I was on the uh, a couple of other sessions previously and we, high, you know, highlighted that, um, you know, that uh, you know, this vaccine potential had uh, the capacity to create quite a big surprise for a lot of, uh, you call them travel companies and, and companies that would be exposed to uh, to the broader uh, reopening and uh, the trigger point of a uh, of a positive vaccine news, and obviously we got that in the last 24 hours. So I think really the question mark becomes well, as a stepping back, and now that we know there's no knowns, you know where are the opportunities moving forward, and how long, how long can they last, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So look, markets always need certain thematics to run with them to give them sort of you know a long runway to to move forward, and some of the things that we really do know are things like central bank stimulus. I mean, just in the last week, we had uh, you know Jerome Powell telling us that you know the Fed can do more. The RBA committed to doing 100 billion. The UK committed to doing 150 billion. The ECB another 500 billion. And this is in addition to all the things that uh, and all the stimulus that is already in the system. And then when you think about the fact that we've got a a, uh, an outcome in the presidency where we have sort of a Goldilocks sort of scenario. So we have, we've got rid of the Twitter presidency, which uh, never builds investor confidence when, you know, you wake up one morning and uh, you, you see one thing and then six minutes later it's completely different and then another six minutes later it's different again. It goes back to where it was and, you know, that can, you know, 
can be quite frustrating. So we have the Senate being controlled by the Republicans, so I think it eliminates a lot of that market risk that was around, uh, you know, the radical left, so to speak, who wanted to inhibit a lot of change and do it very, very quickly. And as we know, markets don't like change and rapid change in particular. So that's one. Um, at the same time, with the Republicans controlling the Senate, we're probably not going to see a huge fiscal stimulus or as large as what you know the, the Democrats had been speaking of. So what does that translate to? Well, that translates to the ball being put at the Fed's feet, so to speak, and they have to run with the ball and the emphasis is on them to create more stimulus. And between the two, financial markets will always prefer monetary stimulus over fiscal stimulus because fiscal stimulus is very direct to specific sectors and stocks and markets and so forth, whereas monetary stimulus helps pretty much everybody. So the fact that there is going to be more central bank stimulus, I think, has to be a, you know, put that in the positive column. Um, along with some of the other things that we've eliminated, you know, you know, obviously things like uh, some of the COVID risks with a vaccine potential. We've got um, also the uh, the risk of the the radical left as well. So all of that to me starts to you know point that uh, markets probably have a least the path of least resistance is probably to continue. Um, on top of that, you know, you look at what creates stock market booms and bubbles. And we're getting a lot of that. We've got, you know, fiscal stimulus, you've got monetary stimulus, you've got, you know, investor confidence probably coming back with a little bit more uh, middle-of-the-road presidency and uh, a little bit of a confidence of sort of what that runway and outlook um, will come. You know, you have big, huge speculation from retailers. And if you look at any of the previous booms and bubbles, Retail participation is such an important part of that, um, and uh, and, I, and we're definitely seeing that certainly now. It's been something that has certainly been the writing was on the wall during the early parts of COVID, and uh, uh, you know you look obviously ninety nine was a was a clear one oh seven, and I think we're getting a, a, another one now. So. When you throw all that together and everything that we know, we're going to see huge rotation in the market. We've seen a lot of the, you know, the, the favoured sort of tech stocks, your stay-at-home companies that have benefited, um, that are probably, you know, being uh, unwound now in terms of positions, and that's rotating back to a lot of the economic, cyclical, economic-sensitive stocks. So um, that's sort of, you know, pretty much in a nutshell, a broader sort of view. I don't want to take the whole floor and give nothing else for anyone else to talk about. But, you know, in terms of, you know, broader sectors, I mean, you know, infrastructure is going to benefit from the fiscal stimulus. I think the local banking sector is probably going to be reaching a bit of a, low, uh, a cycle low point. We've got interest rates that are going to stay low for a long time. The RBA told us they're going to be low. They're not going to even raise rates for another three years. And that's assuming that they raise rates in three years. Two years down the track, we might see that that can get kicked down the road. But that gives... A lot of people confidence that you know that they're what their mortgage will look like for the next three to four or five years. So you know, and the, relax, the relaxing of the responsible lending laws. I know this is all going to create problems further down the track, but between now and then, there's a you know a great party to be enjoyed. So that's pretty much in a nutshell, sort of how I the the framework of the world of sort of how I'm how I'm playing it and see it. So obviously, just quickly, just in the short term, obviously we've had big gaps in a lot of stocks, a lot of markets. That becomes a very difficult um, execution point. If you weren't in it beforehand, you know, it's sometimes it's that case of being, I'd rather be 30 days too early than 30 seconds too late. And, you know, that's one of those sort of situations here where we might have a little bit of short-term weakness, but I think some of that weakness will be well supported. Yeah. I, when we last uh, caught up, Greg, I, I think it, you had a couple of travel stocks uh, that you had positions on and outlined. Um, is that still a hold for you? Well, look, um, when we had our last conversation, it was an options um, meeting yeah. that we had, an options conversation, and uh, one of the ones that I highlighted was Qantas, that it presented that unique opportunity, that there was certainly the, the, the position ironwound, 90% of that trade there today, very early in the session. Um, 
that was, uh, you know, we got that uh, that outcome of a positive uh, um, result from the vaccine. Um, Qantas was, I think, the lowest risk, best return play from that sort of perspective. Um, so, but look, on a dip, I'm going to be willing to be buying Qantas again. That's that options trade was a December expiry. I've got my window of opportunity to, uh, with high volume, high excitement, all that sort of stuff. You've got to sell sometimes into that strength. Did that this morning. I still think that there is enormous opportunity still moving forward. But again, like I said, you know, um, tactically trying to be cute, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Um, Nathan, um, <clears throat> thanks for joining us. I'll just quickly check your sound. We got you there. Yep. Yep, loud and clear. Can you hear me? Yep, yeah, can hear you clearly. And uh, Nathan is a, a, a funds manager, a private trader, um, and uh, a, an options guy. So we've, we've had Nathan on sessions uh, many times in the past. Thanks for joining us, mate. I mean, what's your view on the market um, and the, the key, the, what, what sort of thematics are you focusing on at the moment um, when we're to from here? Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I suppose then the, the short version is I agree with Greg on the um, uh, in the interim. I think there'll be a, a bit of uh, shuffling around and maybe a tiny bit of a pullback, but the the overall theme I think we're um, we'll still be heading up um, in the absence of any sort of bad news that we maybe uh, haven't that's understand at this point. It was interesting. Um, I did watch the U.S. session, the final three hours um, this morning, our time. And it was, uh, despite overnight uh, of a you know huge rally, I think the uh, the Dow was up about sixteen hundred odd points. S and P five hundred was three odd percent up. But in the final fifteen minutes, uh, it lost about two percent of that. And I think the the reasoning behind that for anyone who, who may have been watching that, like me, was that although the the uh, vaccine announcement came out from Pfizer. There's it, the timing of that and the, the input, uh, implementation of, of the vaccine um, into uh, you know around the world is kind of going to go hand in hand with the stimulus package that the US have been kind of waiting on and it's in a way been priced in to some extent in markets. So the the grey cloud that that's thrown up is that you know that in the existence of this this vaccine will this uh, you know two or trillion dollar package get approved by um, the Senate and uh, and pass through because if it doesn't it's you know obviously there's a um, there could be a big problem so I think that's the that's one of the reasons why the US session uh, ended on a negative note and the US futures for most of our trading session today and 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 our session started off you know same thing kind of a bit of a cracker and then really lost its legs at a certain point so one of the things I noticed in um, in the last, uh, you know, five or six sessions, is the the obviously the first thing, first first thing is a lack of selling, um, and when I say that, you know, generally in markets, it, it's it, sometimes people, it's easy to get confused between a whole lot of buying and and super positive sentiment and just the lack of selling, um, and you can generally see that in the the index and the extremities that it goes up by, and by that I mean. For example, in, in the uh, sector rotation, like Greg was talking about, you've got a lot of people overnight, in particular, who were moving from your stay-at-home-based stocks into back into banking and and healthcare and, and energy sector. I think was a big gainer. When you get that, obviously, you, there's a lot of money moving. So you've got money moving out of stocks and they're moving in. And I think you mentioned you had Rob Risk on last last week as a, a market maker. That's when you get guys like him who, um, you know, jump in on sort of the guys exiting their stocks and the guys entering their stocks and um, they basically uh, pounce on pounce on opportunity there and potentially make a lot of money. But there is, there's a, a lot of players in the, um, in the chain of events that, uh, that transpires when you, when you get sector rotation. And so, yeah, I think what we've seen, I mean, you look at the XJO in the last, Couple of sessions, uh, I think we're up maybe six or seven percent, something along those lines. In a, in in maybe five or six sessions, um, it's uh, you know it can be confusing from the outside to look in. But I think looking at today's session, there was obviously similar to the US a sector rotation, and it's 
kind of thrown out a lot of um, uh, a lot of stocks in my view, and there's a lot of mispriced assets at this point. Um, so it's definitely a stock pickers market if you're an equities guy. If you're an options trader like I am, uh, you're basically looking for opportunity in some of these um, sector rotations where you may see an asset get sold down uh, a huge amount and unfairly. And, and, and unless, um, obviously you have to know the, the asset quite well, but there are stocks that are getting sold down purely on, on, rotate, on a rotation basis. Um, and in that case, you know, that you can get them oversold and take opportunity, you know, take that as an opportunity to um, maybe sell uh, some options around that and play some different trades based on the fact that there'll, there'll more than likely be uh, some buyers coming back into that. So I guess, you know, my take on the, on, on the climate, the markets at the moment, the, um, it's very, very choppy. I wouldn't be, um, I wouldn't be, uh, you know, betting on any direction at this point short term, but I think long term will uh, probably go up um, maybe yeah. by the end of the year in the range of about 6,500. Um, but for the short term, I'm, I'm probably looking for some kind of consolidation and maybe a bit of a pause in all the action that we've seen. So I, I, I'm looking at um, uh, seeing an end of year range of uh, market actually about 6,500, maybe a tad higher. But as I said, the, um, if you are trading on um, on ranges, which is a lot of what I do, I'd, I'd be I'd trade very carefully in the next um, next few months because the the sector rotation will really throw out any sort of um, models that you may have around that. And as I said, you, you, to to evidence that you can just look at the last six days of trading on the ASX 200, and I think we were down in the 5,800 sort of region, 5,900. And, you know, today we're up in the 64-odd hundred. So, um, yeah, that's my take. All right, beautiful. Um, Karen, uh, thanks for joining us, mate. I might just quickly check your sound there. Um, uh, have I got you? Yeah, can you guys hear me okay? I can hear loud and clear. So, um, Kieran's a, a sales manager at Open Markets and uh, has been an equities and derivative advisor, runs a, a, a webcast podcast uh, with Open Markets and um, has got a, a long, long-term experience as an advisor but also as a private trader as well. Um, Kieran, what do you, what, what's your take on what's going on, uh, where we're at in the market at the moment and, uh, and, and where things head from here? Yeah, thanks, Patrick, and um, lovely to be with uh, such an elite group. Um, I'll start by, um, I think in light of, again, just to echo some of the other uh, panellists' comments uh, about recent developments around Pfizer's uh, vaccine, I'll, I'll keep my view a little bit more generalised uh, in that context and, and under the assumption that Biden actually does get sworn in in uh, January without any major hiccups along the way. Um, I think it's important to note that if you look at history and how US markets have performed, they perform best under a Democratic president. So the uh, top of the pops is Bill Clinton, although sadly he probably won't just be remembered for that. Um, but also coming in uh, a hot second is uh, Barack Obama. And uh, Bill Clinton returned uh, somewhere compounded between 200 to 210% um, throughout his um, uh, 1993 to 1991 presidency, uh, which is when Al Gore and George Bush actually went toe-to-toe, -to -toe, which was contested and uh, similar, well, not too dissimilar to where we are at the moment, but uh, that followed on with the worst results from a president who happened to be a Republican being George Bush. In his first term, uh, markets were down approximately 40-odd percent, factoring in that there was uh, the likes of 9-11. Um, he also uh, was in power when the GFC hit too, but even if you strip those out, on average, markets, the S&P 500 has achieved its best returns under a Democratic president. So that, in general, is a net positive for markets uh, going forward. Um, so, uh, again, you know, looking back from about 1946, somewhere around there, uh, there have been double-digit returns uh, predominantly most years when a, a Democratic president has been, uh, been in power. So... I think it's, um, 
uh, as long as there's a relatively smooth transition from here in towards the end of the year from a, a, a president-elect perspective, I think that that's going to be a, um, a fairly net positive for the market. And, and again, just touching on some of the, um, uh, the major policies that, that Biden especially is going to be looking to implement and may get some blowback depending on how Congress is constructed and the split between the House and the Senate. But assuming uh, the Republicans maintain the Senate and, uh, and Democrats maintain the House, um, again, I think Greg touched on the point, or, or, and or Nathan, which, which I agree with, there, there may be a little bit of resistance there in getting the large stimulus package through uh, as, uh, as easily as he'd like. But I, I still think there will be a large stimulus package and, and infrastructure stocks are probably going to be the main beneficiaries. So you're looking at you know, machinery stocks, uh, materials, um, some of these type of plays that I think will, will continue to perform reasonably well along with monetary and um, uh, um, uh, other, other fiscal stimulus measures that they're going to put in place. So I think these create a reasonably positive backdrop and as long as a narrative around a vaccine continues to grow, uh, I think that is also going to create a, um, a reasonably strong backdrop leading into early 2021 at least. So the next three months, net positive the market from me, uh, I think that we will continue to grind up, albeit my preferred scenario is a bit of a period of consolidation, and I say preferred based on a few positions that I have uh, in, in the market at the moment. But um, I, I suppose narrowing down from a, a bit of a macro perspective into, into sector-specific uh, sector now, um, I'm focusing a little bit more here in, uh, in, in Australia um, I've taken a fairly contrarian view over the past uh, probably couple of months, um, which I've been a, a fan of the recovery trade in the tourism and retail sector. I know a couple, a couple of the other panellists touched on that as well, but I, um, I think that there have been some really good risk-reward opportunities, um, and for me primarily around uh, tourism. So Webjet has been a, uh, a stock that's been on my radar significantly for the past few months. They recently did a capital raise, um, yeah, sort of, I suppose, towards the bottom of the market and injected somewhere between 250 to $300 million. Uh, they've, they've managed to reduce their monthly cash burn to around $10 million per month, which is going to see them through to mid-2022, early 2023. Uh, so based on the assumption that there was going to be no borders opening, no vaccine, etc., they, uh, they calculated that capital raising on. So... Victoria is coming out of lockdown. Uh, for mine, I think the, um, the board is still being closed in Queensland with a political stunt that uh, Palaszczuk has to stick with for the time being, but I think that's going to reduce coming into Christmas time. Um, and the performance from some of those sort of stocks, Qantas, Flight Centre, uh, Webjet, there's a few others in there, Corporate Travel, Ardent Leisure, that probably re had a reasonable day today as well, but to a lesser extent those ones. And I mean, looking at the fall from Grace, the likes of Webjet had, it was, you know, $12, $13 plus leading into COVID. Uh, went down to about $2.50. Um, obviously, they did the capital raise to, uh, to keep them going. And um, I have a, a, a view that, that, you know, once the borders do come down, and especially Queensland, that stocks like that still do present some reasonable value, given that they have been recapitalised through, um, uh, through capital raising. So... If you look at New South Wales and just the tourism sector in general, in 2018 to 19, New South Wales tourism consumption was circa $45 billion or something like that, and about 65% of that was from domestic tourism. So although the tourism sector in Australia is, um, uh, has a, um, uh, a large uh, dependence on international tourism, we do still have a really strong domestic tourism economy. And, Tourism in Australia, I'm pretty sure, provides about 5% of the total Australian workforce. So there is a big drive to get that sector of the market up and running again, um, not just from a broader um, a political sense, but also domestic states as well. Uh, sorry, um, uh, individual states. I think there's a, there's a keen push for them. So I think there's still a bit of value in, uh, in, in some of those sort of sectors, and albeit that doesn't relate directly back to a Biden or Trump victory, I think just how things have evolved over the course of the past couple of months, um, those sectors are ones that I've been keeping quite an eye on. And 
Um, I, I probably should disclose that I do own a parcel of Webjet um, and uh, have done for some time. And, and just the price action today shows that uh, to me that that there are um, still some, uh, I, I suppose, some good upside in, in, in some of those sort of stocks just with the slightest bit of news. And, uh, you know, hence we saw, you know, double-digit gains for the likes of Flight Centre and, and Webjet and some of those stocks today. So I think I think overall that with stimulus uh, globally still uh, rife and um, about to increase once things in the US finally stabilise, you know, Australia's put their hand up to continue down that trajectory as well. So, you know, the old fight the Fed saying I think is in full swing and leading into what is typically a very strong seasonal uh, month of December, uh, I'm optimistic that, you know, we'll have a, a period of consolidation and then the Santa Claus rally, uh, all things remaining equal from now, uh, very well may plan out. And um, uh, that should uh, bode well leading into, into 2021. So overall net positive for me, guys. Um, I think that the, uh, uh, the backdrop is, um, is quite accommodative and um, I, I, I think we'll see that. Optimistic, we'll see that pan out. Beautiful. All right. Well, um, Tim, welcome. Um, mate, I think what we might do is get a little bit of a view from you and then lead into maybe starting to talk about uh, a couple of trade ideas. I know, yeah. um, you know, to, to sort of echo uh, the other speakers, I mean, for a lot of the ideas that we've had, if you haven't taken them, then... Uh, our, our setups are very difficult to enter in at this point in time. Um, and so a lot of our trade ideas need consolidation if you aren't already in the trade or, in, you know, and, and, and trading trading along with it. I'm not saying it's not going to go up, but probably a lot of that leads back to getting set in at the right levels at the moment. Tim, what's your view on where we sit right now? Well, this is exactly what we've been waiting for all year since COVID started breaking out and since uh, the US elections really were the highlight or the uh, the major event to happen this year. So there's a lot of uncertainty pulled out of the market, a lot less implied volatility in the market now. And um, this is the first time I've actually been bullish since probably about February or even yeah early February since COVID started breaking out. Now that the market's actually pushed through the 6200 level successfully and convincingly, it's giving a, a really positive sign from a technical viewpoint that there is some uh, some positive sentiment in the market. I'd say it um, just with a, a bit of positivity coming from today might be a little bit biased and might slightly change uh, my my sentiment tomorrow. But I'll be looking at probably 65 to 6700 as a level that the market could reach. And um, at that stage, I'd probably start reconsidering. The position, I'd, I'd say 6200 is going to be a pretty strong support level going forward if it took so much time to get through it over five months. And um, I think the market would like to stay above that level. Yeah, okay. And um, we we have a, I guess, we, we've, we've got our trading systems and rules set around when we trade directionally, we look for significant breakouts. Um what, what's lining up on that front at the moment, Tim? We had um, we had a few that were lining up yesterday, um, or this morning, sorry. And by the time the market opened, there was a pretty significant move. Um, mm-hmm. So we, there was two stocks where we even jumped the, uh, the initial lit long and we get straight back into managing the trade, which is quite mm-hmm. interesting. And that was Goodman Group and Ansel. Yep. And Goodman Group, they've been quite buoyant from the COVID crisis due to their unique position in global supply chains, being able to store important resources for companies and countries around the world, governments and, and businesses. And um, Ansel, obviously, providing the medical supplies. Um, might be a bit of an overreaction today, but um, those medical supplies may not be so important if we can effectively get this vaccine yep. out. Yeah. Very good. And so they've switched from long positions to shorts or are they just... Yeah, so usually we would jump in the breakout trade. It was breaking through 52-week highs. The ADX is above 20. The um, the stock price is above the 50-day moving average and above the 200-day moving average. They both were ticking up. But 
on the same time where you would normally enter into the position, it was already pulling back to its 50-day moving average just because today's market was quite unique and, and fast-moving. So you yeah. could even jump straight into the managed position, which would be a, short, a, a long put, just a standard long put. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, interesting. And, and, and I think for, for the way that we approach our trading and our trading systems, because we're trading options, so we'll trade whatever our view of the market is. But when we go long, we're generally going long because we think that there's going to be a significant move on the way up. Um, and I think there's going to be, um, if we see a consolidation and then another move up, we'll see a lot of these stocks breaking through 52-week highs um, and giving all the characteristics of breakout trades. So whilst we've been sitting there doing... I guess, more non-directional trading over the last, well, since April uh, or later, late, late April, we've been sort of sitting in these grinding sideways a little bit up but mainly sideways positions. Um, we now for the first time get some good opportunities to start to, start to line up on directional trades. Uh, and so I think we'll see a lot of our lits, uh, lit trades coming through. So... If anyone wants to get access to our lit trades, type yes into the chat box uh, and we'll give you, we'll put you on our distribution, we'll give you access to the platform so that you can see those trades when they come through. But I think what we're going to see over the next period of time is a lot of those sorts of trade ideas come back into the fall. Um, and we've got some education um, in the platform as well, which will show you exactly those setups um, and all the rules around them and how to do it and, you know, so just type in yes if you want to get access to those trade, those trades. Um, so throwing to the um, to the floor. I mean, um, at this stage, is it is any are we seeing anything that's sort of lining up, or is it all more consolidation? Please let us find it, take a breath before we sort of start resetting our books. Anyone? Any? Any? Greg, what's your view? Um, look, I still think that there is opportunities. There's always opportunities for things, and I think that there are things that are still preparing themselves and are still moving in the right direction that you can still participate with. I mean, um, I mean, one of the areas that I think is quite significant that I think the whole market still doesn't quite capture yet, and we're only just starting to see it break out through to a new multi-year high, are things within the rare earths market. Now, the green energy movement is significant. I've been harping on about this for several years. But, you know, when governments are going to try and change the way that, you know, transportation and, you know, I'm a car enthusiast, so I'm not the biggest fan of electric vehicles, but nonetheless I'm a trader as well and one is greater than the other. So I'm more than happy to try and profit from, um, from that thematic. So when you think about transportation and the green energy movement, everyone moving to, you know, trying to move to electric cars, people trying to, you know, where we plug in, you know, our, uh, our devices into PowerPoints and, um, and certainly the uh, uh, renewable energy sector, one of the biggest demands for all of that is going to be rare earths. And on top of that as well, copper and nickel, etc. So people, you know, you think about that, you know, if we're going to have this huge revolution, most of your power, your petrol stations, etc., are going to need charging stations. I mean, it's the biggest hurdle to, from the government's perspective, of what they're trying to get consumers to do. And I know, I've read countless articles, studies, um, you know, reports about how consumers are positioned, and they want bigger range, and they want larger charging networks that's a huge amount of resources that that is required and something like um you know like linus for example i mean it's the only manufacturer of any decent size outside of china what a strategic asset it has and when mm. you throw in top of that you sprinkle some you know tension between china and the usa about uh, rare, rare earths and then all of a sudden linus becomes a bit of a standout it's no wonder yep. West Farm wanted to buy them 18 months ago. And we've seen recently quite a lot of corporate activity. We've seen Coca-Cola bid for. We've seen AMP. We've seen Tabcorp. We saw RSA, another insurance company in the UK, bid for. So strategic assets and assets of value, um, you know, particularly in cycles, need to be considered. And don't forget, it's 
Linus still isn't that significantly higher than what West Farmers was prepared to pay for it. And when you think about West Farmers, which owns Bunnings, I mean, they have some coal operations, but, you know, these guys were very, very shrewd and astute, and if they got it, that was going to be one of them. It was going to be a great buy, but I still think that there's enormous opportunity in a sector like that. Is there any other rare earth? I mean, I don't think, I think Northern produce... To a, no, I think they've got a small pilot plant. Are there any other rare earth producers in Australia or anyone worth looking at, in your opinion, Greg? Look, look there's, there's, there's the explorers and there's the producers. And, and in the producers, there's really only Linus. There's nobody else. In the explorers, you've got um, now, I know, I know all my stocks by codes, not necessarily by names, but um, RMX, um, ARR, um, I think ERR as well um, have been a few of the ones that um, are explorers. But one of the best ways to get exposure to it really as a broader thematic is the Rare Earths ETF um, listed in the US. Uh, it's the code's REMX. It's the Rare Earths ETF, and it's a combination of both Chinese Rare Earth producers and others um, around the world. So, again, that's breaking out of a big multi-year base um, yep. Quite a perfect unity. Just a, a short question on it, um, but the Chinese have had always held uh, controlled the rare earth market, and with that pricing, um, do they hold still undue influence over where pricing can go? And um, you know, how, how do you see that playing out? Yes, they do. They still have that pricing that's purely just out of supply. But because the demand is so significant, both within China itself, I mean, China is probably the country, aside from maybe India, that on the planet really, really needs to change, you know, its, uh, its pollution levels and really move away from, you know, a carbon dioxide type of um, um, transportation system. So all of a sudden, you know, the demand... With respect to that, we've seen rare earth prices in China starting to well have started to increase quite rapidly over the last few months, accelerating the last few weeks, and even you know stronger in the last you know several days. So again, um, you know, and then if you break away China's supply away from the rest of the world and they keep it all for themselves, then all of a sudden, you know, you're you know you could have a two separate pricing system, which you have had in commodities before where China is quite influential in terms of either production or demand, like aluminium is a perfect example of that, um, and bauxite, there's, there's, there's sometimes you get sort of uh, a big difference between sort of, you know, domestic China prices and, you know, seaboard prices. Yeah. Thanks, Greg. Nathan, um Tim mentioned he uh, saw 6,200 as a, a, a strong support level. Um, are you drawing that line at the moment? Where, where, what do you, where do you think? Have you got a view at this stage? Or are you waiting for more information? Um, probably more information. But, yeah, it, look, I mean, that, that sounds like a um, uh, it would be pretty close to what I'd be getting at as well, 6,200. Um, I can't see... Um, but you never can see the sort of the unknown potential bad news that <laughs> could come out at any moment. Um, yep. That's, that's the, uh, the million-dollar question. But I can't see too much at this point that's going to come out that's going to get us back down there. As I said, it would it's, take um, a whole lot of selling, and what we've seen in the last uh, couple of weeks is a whole lot of people just sitting on their, on their hands. So the, and in the absence of selling, the market's always going to go up. So... Yeah, I do see that as a key point, but I am waiting for um, some, you know, volatility and, and maybe there will be something that will come out of the woodwork. But if there is some kind of dip, I think I think it will be uh, bought um, and that's 6,200, where, wherever it may be, depending on the news. Um, I, I still think we'll bounce back up. But on the in terms of the upside, I think the, um, uh, you know, whilst the focus this whole year has been around uh, you know, COVID trading and, and, and that next phase of, of when we come back online. I don't think there's a lot of sort of thought beyond that. And I think that's going to be interesting because what the, you know, what the landscape's going to look like at that point is um, it won't be great. But obviously there's huge amounts of um, global debt. Uh, you've got, you know, unemployment rates up. 
you've got a whole lot of um, yeah, distressed businesses. And I think the one interesting part will be in the US, um, all the small small uh, to medium businesses, uh, which make up you know a, a great deal of the the economy there, and seeing how they actually come out the other end uh, of this. Because I suppose in Australia we've been pretty lucky that, that the government has done a pretty good job in terms of the job keeper and job seeker uh, stimulus that they've, they've pumped in and. Um, yeah, and we've been very lucky, obviously, in, in, in controlling the virus. But as I said, it's, at the moment, the focus is, is really just on how, how do we come out um, immediately. But I think beyond that, uh, it, it'll be interesting because there's, there's a point where a lot of these um, you know, stocks just become overbought and, 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 and over, overvalued. And yep. it's, um, yeah, you know... I, I, it's all very well, I suppose. Everyone's looking for those those initial pops, and, and which are great if you, if if you you've got in early enough. But there will be a point where you you know that will no longer happen, and um, it's that's going to be interesting. And I think we'll we'll be sort of people who are scratching their heads, looking around um, as to you know where to go to next. And it really is you know you've seen that at the, at the moment in that it really is a stock pickers market that if you haven't done your you know you, your research and have a really good understanding of sectors and particular stocks. You're um, you're you're really just sort of you know hoping and and hope's not a strategy. So it's um, yeah. At the moment, I, I'm looking at um, you know distressed stocks that, as I said mentioned before, that that may be oversold. I think Tim mentioned Goodman. I had my eye on that today, um, and basically I'm trying to differentiate between. Um, whether a stock's being sold uh, for a technical reason or things like rebalancing at end of month, end of quarter, you get a lot of funds that do that. But also misclassification of, of, of stocks. Uh, one of the things that does my head in is uh, the fact that Afterpay is con- t- considered a tech stock when um, you know, I really don't see how it sort of falls under that definition. But because it does, and it is in that indices, what you'll find is fund managers who will just track the, the US or some other um, uh, measures will basically see, you know, tech stocks go down and oh, they'll sell off after pay. So it's, it's being able to, if you can, if you can pick between, uh, as I said, read, read between the lines and, and, and try to understand the individual stocks and where they fall in a sector and why it is they're being bought and why it is that they're being sold, you'll it'll put you in a better position to um, to make you know, really really good decisions and 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 that's where we're at. You you really need to be um, you know sure of yourself before you make those decisions at the moment. Yeah, and um, I think that with volatilities, so there's still IV still there. I mean, with what does it still leave you open to? The normal strategies that you'll be using, the um, uh, bear calls, bull puts, uh, condors, those types of things. Um, how, how do you set up in, in the in the current market? Yeah, definitely. So I'm looking for um, uh, done a few uh, uh, bull put spreads um, yep. on on days where I'm seeing assets oversold. I think uh, who was a really good example? Treasury wine. Um, maybe last week, whenever it was, got sold down about 9% in one session. Yeah. And basically the next day it was that that loss was completely erased and then it, it went up even more. So I think it, you know, reached a point where I've been keeping it, keeping an eye on that for, um, for months now because uh, it was originally sold down when there was threat of, uh, of Chinese, uh, a Chinese investigation from authorities. And anyway, yeah, it's keeping an eye on that. And when I saw that that nine percent sort of sell off, uh, you know, that was a great opportunity then to um, enter uh, out of the money bull put spread. So that one, I think um, A2 Milk was another um, afterpay. Uh, I've been looking at, but you got to tread carefully with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that was sold off today. It was at one point down about twelve percent. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't. Um, that one's a bit of a, a tricky one because it is a stock that fluctuates quite a lot. 
because it's yep. relatively new. Um, I probably wouldn't own it as a as an equity because uh, mm. I don't I still don't understand the the valuation. But you, you do get these stocks. Um, you know, the US have got Tesla. A lot of analysts have struggled to get their head around valuations with that for a very long time. Bitcoin, <laughs> so it's not uh, it's not on its own. But um, yeah, there is opportunity when you see. Um, but it, it is about the, the key thing is is understanding why it's being sold if it is being sold because you don't want to enter a, you know bull put spread or anything similar to that strategy when you've got something that's being sold for valid reasons and it's it's going to be a, a continued thing. Greg, when um, you uh, first came onto a session with us, you made the comment that you would bet on two flies um, uh, walking up a wall as long as one of the flies was bigger than the other. Um, the is there well, what, 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 who, where's the best place to be to be looking at and finding trades at the moment? Is there a particular market um, that uh, you have a preference to? Look, I think Australia is certainly well positioned, and I'm particularly bullish Australia. Just when you look at the way that the indices are made up, so we understand that you know the Nasdaq did very well during COVID, and you know, without uh, you know rehashing the last of the six months, we all know why it did well. Um, Stay-at-home stocks, etc. When you're getting and and some of those big behemoth tech stocks have such big influences over the indices, you really need to understand what those stocks are going to do to influence that market. And you saw a lot of that there last night where um, you had some volatility, some pullbacks that are being influenced by certain stocks. Australia's right at the other end of the spectrum where, yes, we're dominated by a few specific sectors, but when you stand back and look at it, most of the things that we, you know, that I mentioned at the start about the things that we know and that we have visibility with stimulus from the fiscal side, monetary side, COVID, etc. Australia's in a very strong position in terms of reopening up its, you know, at least its internal borders. Um, you know, we heard the stat from Kieran about um, domestic tourism, etc. And you have a look at all the other little things. You just add on little things like, like I said, the relaxing of responsible, responsible lending laws. You know, I went to dinner on Friday night with a friend of mine who has a, um, a very successful mortgage business. He's been in the mortgage industry for 30 years. He told me he's never seen it as strong as this in terms of him being run off his feet. So there's huge incentives and huge demand for home mortgages and at least for first home owners to get into the apartment market, which has been the weakest to date. So and then you look at, you know, like we just talked about a little bit the rare earths, but you throw in, you know, spread out the other rare earth, uh, the other resources um, benefiting from infrastructure spending globally. I mean, we can all agree that every government around the world probably has only one way to really stimulate their economies, and that is going to be through infrastructure. Apart from handing people checks, which only has a, you know, everyone goes and buys a TV and then that's it, you know, you build a road to nowhere and people can go up and down that for the next 50 years. So that creates employment, etc. So you throw all of that together and then all of a sudden you've got banks, tick, resources, tick. I mean, we've seen, you know, the economy we're opening, we're seeing, you know, property, you know, property valuations are probably going to stay pretty, pretty good, tick. Interest rates low for a while, tick. CSL, that's a big, you know, a big part of the Aussie market, but, you know, we can probably tick that as well because they're going, they've already had an agreement to uh, be contracted to produce a COVID vaccine as well. Um, it's very hard to find something where you can put your finger on and say, you know what, that's not going to do well moving forward. So in that sort of environment, when you're looking at a market, I just continue to steer to the domestic market being particularly um, robust. And dare I might go out a little bit further on the limb where those flies tend to hang around that you spoke spoke of, is that um, I think some of those targets that uh, that we've talked about might might be exceeded. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Now, um, has anyone, I'll, I'll call to the, the audience, if anyone's got any questions for anyone on uh, any of the speakers, please put them into the chat box uh, and I'll put them across. We are getting very close to 8pm, which is when I'm going to call the session to a halt. So if anyone's got a question, then there might have been some earlier that I, we may have moved past. Um, 
David has made a comment here. Oz, OZL, good copper miner if you're looking for renewables. Um, there you go. All right. Um, thanks, David. What else have we got up here? Now, if anyone had any issues with sound tonight, there was a couple of people at, at different times that said they'd lost sound, uh, I, and I did too. The recording will be fine. The recording is always fine. So if you missed a section of it, you want to go back and check it out tomorrow, um, we'll email everyone and we'll put it up on the website tomorrow. If you wanted to get our uh, access to our trade ideas, our lit breakout trades, I think there's going to be a lot of those trades lining up um, over, over the next period of time. Uh, and when we do breakouts, what we, what we, our view is, the number one view um, is that a big move is going to happen. Uh, we're pretty sure it's going to go in our direction. Uh, but when it doesn't, it really doesn't go in our direction. Uh, in fact, it, it gives up way more than, uh, than on the upside. So when we trade them, we always trade with a switching mechanism and we, we have a rule for switching. Uh, and the biggest wind we ever have is when we get it wrong. Um, and so, and I think in this market, it's going to be one of those markets, uh, I'm hoping it is anyway, where we've now got a bit of a move. It'll line us up on breakout trades, but it'll also give us the volatility to where we can really do some good trading and make some big returns because we, 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 we know the 20% here, 30% there, we're not really interested in that style of trading. We really want to go in and take a position and, and get right behind it. Uh, and, and I think things will line up for us there. So if you want to get access to those, type in yes if you haven't already for those that have, and we'll give you access to the platform and you get access to those trades and the scanners and so forth. Uh, a couple other, IAG looking good, pushing new highs. Even, let me have a look at this, sorry. Looking good, Peter Dent. Peter, sorry. Uh, I, looking good, pushing newer highs even for today's gap. So, yeah, that's an interesting one, IAG. Uh, Thomas, BHP, full foot spread, looks okay, good. Um, Sid, pushing, interesting to see. Yeah, look, there's some, some good ideas there for people on the floor. But if anyone's got any questions, please put them through. But I think we're about to tick over to 8 p.m., so I'm going to call the session to a halt. Uh, and as I do that, I just wanted to, to thank everyone for taking the time. Greg, thank you very much. Nathan, thank you. Kieran and Tim, thank you very much for taking the time to join us tonight. I'm sure on behalf of everyone in the audience, they got a lot out of what you had to say, some good ideas, some clarity. Uh, there seems to be a bit of a common theme going uh, on amongst uh, everyone on the session tonight. Uh, and some ideas. Uh, a, a question, I, and I'll, anyone that's got an opinion, where do you seek... Oh, actually, I might put this one, uh, Nathan, uh, to you. Where do you seek gold one, three, six months out from where we are now? Um, I, don't, I don't follow gold. <laughs> no? Greg? No. Greg, you got Look, an opinion on that? Yeah, look, I think um, with a lot of assets, um, one is the thing that's going to dominate is going to be US dollar direction. And I yep. think that US dollar direction is going to be influenced by central bank stimulus, and there's no doubt that the, the Fed is going to, has got the, the biggest balance sheet and is the most aggressive. So you've got to pretty much look at further US dollar weakness. So within that environment, you're going to be positive gold, positive silver, platinum, and, and the variety of, of, of different... Um, uh, different precious metals as a result, um, you know, and, and don't forget that with all this stimulus, we're, you know, we're, we're trying to get inflation. So, um, you know, and in that environment where you've got this desire for inflation, commodities, assets generally do best. And so you would have to assume that gold will do well. I think silver will do even better. Um, in terms of one, three-month and six-month outlooks, look, um, I think in one month, it's probably not going to be too different. I think everybody, I never like when panellists are all in agreement. I never really like when the market's all in agreement. And I think everybody in the world is in agreement that gold's going to go higher. I think that's just sort of, you know, the common, you know, thematic. You get into a cab and, uh, you know, you ask, where do you think of gold? And everyone seems to be happy to have it. Everyone wears it, etc. So, um, and even though, you know, you smile these days and people go on their teats. <laughs> So I think that, um, you know, in general in the short term, but six months from now I could see probably a couple, you know, 10% higher, 15% higher. 
But I will conclude that I reckon in this cycle, we might find that gold is the poor man's Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin might, uh, might outperform them all. You can't wear Bitcoin around your neck. <laughs> you see, on a USB stick. On a USB yeah. stick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That might be the new look for, the, for 2021. Oh, All right. Well, look, on that note, thank you, guys, um, and uh, thanks for everyone taking the time. Uh, all the best. We'll be back next week. Next week we're going to talk about uh, specifically options tools. So this is part of the ASX options game. Uh, we're getting into the latter part of that. We're going to be looking at options, options pricing tools um, and all the different tools that you can use to get an edge in, the, in your decision-making in the market. So we'll see you back next week. Thanks again, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you.